Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we started recording episodes virtually instead of being in the same room together. This created technical issues for us for many weeks. Our sound issues get better beginning with the pros and cons episode. In the meantime, we appreciate your patience with the sound issues that are present in this episode. This episode contains material that might be triggering for some. If you need to stop the podcast at any time to take care of yourself, please do so. If you need support, you can call the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And this is DBT and Me. Hello, everybody. Um, We are back for a very, very long overdue Q&A episode. Oh, I know. It's true. We're sorry, all of you having to wait. Yes. Exactly. We so appreciate the patience of everybody who has been writing in to us and waiting for this episode it is here um and if you can't already tell we are still virtual um <laughs> so hopefully you guys can hear kate yes that's right um <laughs> all right so we have quite a few emails and stuff to get through so we'll try to not have it be too lengthy of a Q&A episode but we also think it is really important to take the time to address people's questions and give everyone the space that, you know, we think they deserve for writing into us. <laughs> so Kate's going to get us started with reading out the first email. Yeah, and I don't know, we say this always, but just a little reminder, we sometimes change details or edit some stuff out, either to make it a little bit shorter or to protect people's privacy. So, yes, good reminder. Uh, if you're listening and it's you and you're like, that's not exactly what I wrote, Yes. All right, so first email. Um, I was looking into my own DBT, but since doing all the research, my partner and I have separated, and I'm not coping well. We just couldn't find a way to make it work. I want to do DBT now, but I have lost him, and I'm not quite sure what the point is now. Like, why get better when I have lost the person I was getting better for? I also just feel with nobody in my life to support me and nobody to see I am getting better, there is not much point. I have lost everything that was important to me. When I don't have a BPD trigger, I feel normal, and I don't know how to work through 30 weeks of DBT and not be able to put it into practice. Like, how do I apply what I learn to situations when there are no situations to apply it to? Yeah. Um, So first thing that I want to clarify, in case people don't know, because I don't think we've said it yet on the podcast, um, the listener wrote in when I don't have a BPD trigger. And if you're like, what's BPD? Um, BPD stands for Borderline Personality Disorder. And I think we mentioned it in the very first episode. That is what DBT was originally designed for, was to help people with that diagnosis. So that's what BPD stands for. Um, so I don't know, though. I guess with reading this, like, my first thought is 
I mean, one, <laughs> it really sucks that you're going through this breakup and this relationship ending because that is super painful. And I think this happens. I think Kate and I have definitely seen it in groups that we've led with people or with clients that we work with where people enter DBT or they enter therapy in general because there's a certain situation in their life that they're wanting to work on and it seems as if for you what you really wanted was to work on yourself and make this relationship better and now that the relationship isn't part of the equation anymore yeah it changes the game for sure and also I feel like it's really important to add here that DBT is actually really helpful for breakups and relationships ending in just a couple weeks we're coming up on it we're going to be getting into some of the distress tolerance skills and those skills in particular I mean they were designed for losses of all kinds whether it's like the loss of someone through a death or through a breakup or through just major life things happening like accidents and all sorts of stuff that's what the distress tolerance module is there for is helping us take care of also take care of ourselves excuse me <laughs> ugh, while we are grieving so I don't know my two cents is that I still think there's a lot of potential for you to get something out of a DBT program if you decide to pursue it because now that you're in this new place of being single and grieving the relationship DBT may still be really helpful for you so that's something to think about for yourself is that even though your life is in a very different spot than you wanted it to be, maybe these skills could still be good for where you're at right now. Yeah, I like those thoughts, Michelle. I think that makes a lot of sense um, and kind of dovetails really well into what I was thinking about uh, while reading the email, which is a gentle reminder to the listener that you still have a whole life. Mm -hmm. Right, You still have this entire life that existed outside of that relationship while you were in it, and it's still there now, right? So um, whatever that may look like, you know, whether that's friends or family or workplaces or, you know, just interacting with any part of your world, DBT skills are still applicable, and I promise you, you still have places to practice it. Um, I know it can feel like there's no point when the main point um, has been removed, uh, but I just want to, to gently, gently say there's a, there's a whole world, right? There's a whole life um, that you still have in which to put these things into practice. And, um, and trust me, I get it when people are like, wow, look at this painful, horrible thing you're going through as an opportunity. Uh, kind of makes me want to, you know, I don't know, do unpleasant things. Because yeah. <laughs> it still sucks. It right. sucks and it's horrible and it's awful. <laughs> that person. Um, and still say, this kind of does give you the, there's the dreaded word, opportunity, right? But to shift your focus and have this healing process be about you. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that there was this, this impetus of having this relationship work, having this relationship be healthier, um, and I'm so glad that you had something that was motivating you to do this work and to move to this healing process, and I just, I hope for you that you're able to see that your health and your well-being is worth it because you are worth it. Yeah. Your experience of your life being less painful, being easier to manage, easier to cope with, that's worth it in a total vacuum, even if there are no other relationships of any sort. 
um, in your world, right? If any of you were living in a cabin in the woods in the middle of nowhere, right? like your health and well-being is a worthy cause and is something that deserves time and effort and energy. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. Nice. Well said, Kate. Um, so we also had a post um, in our Facebook group that we wanted to mention here in the Q&A episode just because we want to see what's out there, basically. Um, so we had somebody post, and they were asking for DBT tattoo ideas. And so if you have gotten a DBT tattoo... Anything related to the skills themselves or, I mean, I would even broaden it out further to any kind of tattoos related to mental health um, that you've chosen to get. We would love it if you would if join the Facebook group if you haven't already and post them in there as inspiration for other people. Um, and Kate actually has a tattoo herself that she wanted to share and talk about too with this post that we got. Yeah, so it's not directly DBT related, but I would say that it's sort of DBT adjacent. Um, I, again, it's been long enough ago that I'm not positive, but I think in our first episode, I mentioned that I went through a DBT program myself when I was 19. Um, and one of the primary motivators for that was um, I was going through really significant self-harm at the time. Um, and so after the DBT uh, curriculum and actually, I can't remember exactly how long after that but not much longer after that um, I felt like I'd done so much healing and had done so much processing around my self-harm through DBT um, I actually ended up getting a tattoo uh, it like sits up underneath my breast I think of it as one of my like very private tattoos only very special people get to see that one to know that it exists um, but what it actually is, and pardon if this is a little graphic for anybody, but it's basically an image of a, of a wound, like a cut, um, that has been stitched, but the stitches are coming undone and it's bleeding a little bit. And that just image was very symbolic to me of like self-harm and healing from self-harm and kind of the constant struggle that that can be. Um, and just wanted to have a reminder to myself about it. Uh, so that's, that's my own personal, I think like super mental health related tattoos or, well, I guess, DBT-related tattoo. I also have a couple of tattoos that are, like, grief-related, mourning-related, which to me feels kind of mental health. Um, and I don't know why I didn't think about this when we were talking before, Michelle, but, you know, the classic mental health tattoo is the uh, semicolon, right? Yeah, uh, yep. For people who have attempted or considered attempting suicide. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of really beautiful, like, plays on that one if you go and look around on the internet, but... Yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody else. What did you get to help remind yourself of your journey? What have you gotten to help support your own mental health and well-being? Um, I did a little, quick little Google search, and it looks like most of the directly DBT-related tattoos are written. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, Rather than symbols. Yeah. Uh -huh. well, you know, if, like, wise mind is the thing for you, like, maybe there's an image to you that somehow, or a person or a character or something that... Um, symbolizes it the best for you or something like that mm -hmm. so yeah we'd love to hear other people's either experiences or ideas yeah absolutely yeah and i think you have the next email kate yeah. so let's see hello lovely ladies i am a newbie to your podcast audience as i sought it out when i was asked to co-counsel a dbt skills group with a co-worker now this covid 19 now with this excuse me now with this covid 19 stuff things have changed the group has been put on pause. However, my group hours fulfillment for my graduate counseling program has not. So I proposed my own group to my site director. 
this is where you guys come in. My proposed group is geared towards pre-teen or adolescent aged girls, and I want to incorporate some DBT stuff like naming emotions, validating other selves, calming strategies, and things like that. So, do you ladies have any advice for me and this potential group? Yeah, so we edited this email uh, just a little bit, but even though we emailed this listener back directly and gave her some pretty concrete tips specifically for the group that she's wanting to do, we wanted to also talk about this in the Q&A episode because the group that she's doing now is a virtual group, and a lot of things have shifted to being virtual, not just therapy groups, <laughs> lots of things. Schooling is now virtual, meetings for work are now virtual. Um, so we wanted to talk about some things that might be helpful for other people who are doing groups in a virtual setting, regardless of what the reason is for the groups. So some general things to think about because what Kate and I have found, um, we just did a DBT group over Zoom that concluded um, recently, but you know, it is, it's different when people are in their homes. Yeah, and it's different when just in general with the collective trauma that's COVID-19 brings. I mean, there's like a lot going on <laughs> just in general um, that I think can make doing things virtually a little trickier and a little more challenging. So, I don't know, an idea that I have is to do... I would term it maybe an emotional check-in at the beginning of the group, but basically just go around, and this really does not have to take a lot of time. This can be very brief, but just going around before, you know, the class starts, before the meeting starts, whatever it is, and asking each person to share one or two words about where they're at that day. <laughs> you know, whether it's like tired and sad, or I don't know, angry frustrated yeah um feel you know I, I would encourage people to steer away from words like good and fine and to instead try to find emotional words um you know but that could be calm that could be peaceful you know and just have each person sharing you know today I feel blank <laughs> and share one to two things at the beginning of group because then you know where everyone's at and you can maybe modify what's going to happen in the group once you have an understanding of that. The other thing that can be really important given doing things virtually and given that people just have more on their plates in some ways, even though we're doing less emotionally, there's more on our plates than usual, <laughs> is to really be open to give breaks as needed. Um, you know, in our DBT group, we always build in a break halfway through the group. Um, but people might need more breaks than usual now. Um, so don't be afraid to do even just like a two or three minute break if you're sensing that people's minds might be wandering or people mentioned in their check-ins that everyone's feeling really stressed and overwhelmed okay, you know, how can you adjust the group to give space for people maybe needing to take breaks or cope? So those would be some things I recommend. Uh, a couple of ideas that I had around stuff, um, and some of these might be more or less relevant depending on what kind of group you're leading, but um, like I said, we just finished, uh, as Michelle mentioned, a DBT group, and we were pretty, I don't know, lazy fair about people turning their screens off if they were feeling self-conscious, or if they were feeling just really overwhelmed or emotional or like they just didn't have a lot of energy to give the group that night. 
Um, and in the end, I think we actually could say we kind of regret that decision. Because yeah. Both from our perspective and a couple of the participants gave feedback to that it ended up with them feeling less connected to one another. Um, like they knew each other less well and they were less, you know, cohesive of a group. So if it's something um, that uh, is relevant to whatever kind of group you are in or are leading, um, I would, if at all possible, discourage people from turning off their cameras, right, and just be listening into the group while not being visible, even if what is shown is them, you know, laying on the floor. Like, <laughs> you know, like it makes a difference. Are, yeah, but still be where you can be seen and where you can see others um, to help improve cohesion. Um, and then the other idea is, like, I don't know, like mini mindfulness stuff at the beginning or at the end of groups. Uh, really helpful. And this uh, doesn't have to be a therapy group. This can be a business meeting, mm -hmm. right? Um, if, you know, your company or boss, or if you're the boss, <laughs> if you decide to start every meeting with like, all right, everybody, let's just take three slow, deep breaths together um, to do that at the beginning and or the end of the group, something like that. Just a little tiny few second, you know, grounding exercise, breathing exercise. Just a little bit of mindfulness can help people be calmer, be more centered, be more focused, be more present for the group. So those would kind of be my ideas. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to move on to our next email here. So it says, I'm so glad I found your podcast and that it is a current podcast. In the midst of all of this COVID-19 chaos, it was so lovely to listen to your positive energy. I just listened to your first broadcast and wanted to reach out right away. Six months ago, I left an abusive relationship with my wife and then best friend. I went inpatient soon after a traumatic couples therapy session with her and then finally left with my two-year-old son last year. I left the state after trying to serve her with protection order and not succeeding. I'm now in a two-bedroom apartment with my two-year-old son. I tried to find a therapist I felt comfortable with and went through several different ones. In April, I went and saw my current counselor for the first time. She works at a domestic violence program and I feel like I can trust her. I'm very homesick. My mom is helping me pay my bills because I struggle with organization. I'm not on any psychiatric meds because when I was on them, I felt bad. So I have not been on any kind of medication for about a month. With COVID-19 going on, it is really hard for me to build new healthy relationships and routines. I applied for a divorce attorney program that may help me get a divorce from where I am. I tried to explore moving back to my home state, but because I owe landlords, that process is really draining me. I did have a good morning routine down and bedtime. I'm trying to use the Headspace app and incorporate exercise into every day. I'm grieving and definitely in a depression state, but I'm trying really hard to look at the good things happening to me too, like that I'm not homeless. My son and I are safe. I have a good job in healthcare. My job is very hard right now because I have to get retested for COVID-19 and then find childcare that will work with my hours. I'm struggling with not knowing how to cope with basic life things like a schedule, budget, and parenting skills. I'm scared of starting the divorce process. I think the biggest skill I could work on that I remember is radical acceptance maybe, but I can't remember what that is totally except accepting things you have no control over and working on what you do have control over. Do you think trying to get into a DBT group right now would be helpful? Any advice would be appreciated. And just please keep doing the podcast. Oh, well, first of all, I'm super excited to hear we were being um, helpful for somebody. And thank you for writing us. Um, and I'm sorry, shit's so hard right now. Yeah. I just, I just want to start with that. Like, 
shit is hard baseline in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And then you have got a lot of very specific things going on in your life that are making it harder. Um, which actually kind of dovetails into my more official response, um, which is that because stuff is so hard right now, you are going to have a really hard time braining. Um, when it comes to high stress, high trauma, things like that, the first part of the brain to kind of go offline is the very front, it's called our prefrontal cortex, and that's where most of our thinking happens, right? This is where a lot of our reason and our rational thinking comes, our decision making, our inhibition, stuff like that really lives in the prefrontal cortex, and unfortunately, the more stressed we are, the more frightened we are, the more traumatized we are, the less well that part of our brain is working, so... Kind of my first thing is just to be, if you can be, really exquisitely kind and forgiving of yourself. Um, right now is not the time to judge, like, if you're good at things. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, God, you're probably not, and neither am I <laughs> right now. <laughs> like, it's no one, no one is running at their best right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so to look at yourself struggling with some of these, I think the, the first word is the basic things like budgeting or scheduling or parenting stuff, I would say almost nothing counts as basic right now uh, because of how hard things are. And again, listener, you have added things going on on top of things, especially that you work in healthcare right now with COVID going on. So um, my first thing is it's not your fault that your brain isn't braining as well as you might like. And so and remember that, that that's a physiological thing and be really forgiving of yourself and then my other thought is you mentioned specific skills and while radical acceptance is awesome it's also really hard um, <laughs> yeah it's kind of a more <laughs> brainy skill that involves a lot of thinking and a lot of being very reasonable and very rational um so i would actually suggest focusing in on mindfulness skills um for one, they tend to be much more accessible. You can kind of do them anywhere, any place. If you have listened to our mindfulness episodes, you'll hear me blog that a lot. Um, but they're very accessible. They're very, they're more calming. They're more sort of soothing, um, and they have the added benefit of helping to bring our prefrontal cortex more online. So while it may not seem like it's directly, uh, a, you know, a skill that's directly focused on the precise problems you're having, mindfulness is a good for everything kind of skill uh, because everything is going to be easier um, to tackle and to do the more well your, your prefrontal cortex is working. So um, that would be my suggestion. Uh, again, if you're listening to the podcast, we have three, four? Uh, <laughs> 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 At least three. At least three. But Feels like more. ages ago. <laughs> I know, so I don't know. There's a number of them. Right? And just, you know, stick with those, right? They're, they're a little bit more simplistic, but also they help you be able to do more complicated things. So that would be my advice there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and kind of building on what you were just saying, Kate, you know, this listener mentions trying to exercise regularly, and that can be one of the best things to do because when we're able to take care of our bodies, when taking care of our minds is like, sometimes too hard with the thinking processes like Kate was talking about <laughs> taking care of our body is a good place to go when thinking isn't isn't our strong suit at the moment um 
I want to specifically address the question of, you know, do you think trying to get into a DBT group right now would be helpful? Because I feel like there could be pros and cons. On the one hand, making the decision to start a DBT group can be fantastic because you'll hopefully be in a group with other people who will be supportive and understanding of your situation. You'll be able to learn skills in that group that could be helpful for you. I mean, it seems almost counterintuitive to be like, here we are doing a DBT podcast and don't join a DBT group, right? Because <laughs> it has the potential to be so good. And also, I think Kate and I have seen this with the DBT groups that, that we have led. It's really important to be mindful of the timing of when you start a DBT group. It's a big commitment. Um, most groups are at least an hour and a half every week, if not two hours, which is what our group is. There's homework involved it's a big thing to dive into. And what I, in general, have been recommending mostly for my clients during this time of COVID-19 is to have less things on your plate instead of more. Even if those things could have the potential to be really good for you, it feels horrible when we try to add something onto our plate and then after we've already tried to add it, we realize, uh-oh, I didn't have space for this after all. <laughs> and it may be the case that right now you don't maybe have space in your life for the commitment that a DBT group takes, which is no shade on you in the slightest. You know, you're, you know, you're parenting a two-year-old son on your own. You have a job in healthcare. You're, you have a pending divorce. I mean, you have a lot going on. And so one thing that could be helpful instead is to figure out maybe more flexible ways of how you can take care of your mental health. And if you want to specifically hone in on DBT, there are lots of ways to do that. I mean, listening to the podcast is one <laughs> because you can listen whenever you want. Whenever you have some time to listen, you can. And um, there's lots of DBT books, workbooks out there. Specifically, there's books in general about mental health. People who have maybe been in your same shoes, like memoirs or advice for leaving a um, relationship that was abusive, that could be helpful for you to read. But again, you can pick and choose what you would do and at what pace you would do it, if that makes sense. Whereas a group, there's a specific time of day that you're expected to show up every week, whether it's in person, which it probably isn't right now, or virtual. Um, it's a big commitment, and those would be some ways for you to take care of yourself, but to do it in a more flexible way. Terms. Yeah, on your terms. Yeah, you know, 10 minutes here, an hour there, whenever it works for you, that may be what I would recommend trying first. And perhaps when this COVID stuff starts dying down a little bit more, whenever that will be, we can't say for certain. You know, maybe after your divorce process, maybe after the ball's gotten rolling there, or maybe after, I think you mentioned really missing your mom, maybe after you can get back in touch with your mom again, like picking something where it's like, let me get that thing off my plate first before I add a DBT group on might be what I would recommend. So. I hadn't thought about this before, Michelle, but my last sort of appendage onto that is there are some like online DBT courses. Oh are not actually classes, like you're not in with other people, so there isn't a timeline. It is just here you pay, now you get the material and there's pre recorded videos and shit like that. Um so um that's another possibility. I oh fantastic. How much those things cost 
but it might be another way to get the material on a way that you have control over the timing and and like what you take in and when so yeah that's an awesome idea yeah cool all right are we ready for the next Maybe. yeah Ooh, i think this is our cool. last one it is all right so hi kate and nope your name first <laughs> <Ha -ha. laughs> hi michelle and kate i wanted to write you an email to say a big thank you for starting the podcast i'm in my mid-20s and listening to the podcast in london uk hey i have found it to be so helpful love willing hands and i'm so glad that i have found this wonderful type of therapy after years of anxiety a game changer recently I went through a breakup and I feel like DBT skills have helped me understand a lot of the emotions I have felt in the last few weeks. I also think I had known about DBT, sorry, I also think had I known, there we go, about DBT during the relationship, I would have been able to navigate my feelings and anxieties a lot better. So DBT has given me a great framework and I am more hopeful now that I will be able to move forward in a positive and proactive way in future relationships. My two questions for the podcast are, one, what DBT skills would you recommend using when in a relationship, particularly as I experience a lot of anxiety in romantic relationships around the issue of, are they going to leave? And I have trouble communicate how I, communicating how I feel without lashing out in an all or nothing manner. I also seem to always gravitate towards people who make me feel that way. Like, why? It's so frustrating. So anything to help would be really appreciated. And two, in a breakup, what skills would you recommend to cuts down on the dreaded checking in on your ex's Instagram, looking at old texts type of problem. Doing those things really gets me down and in a cycle of thinking about my ex or going over past situations that I can't change. So I would love any tips on how to use DBT in those situations. If you could touch about either of these questions in the podcast, I would really appreciate it. All right. Um, so I feel like I'm going to maybe be addressing question one a little bit more. Maybe you're going to be addressing question two a little bit more and what your thoughts are. Um, we'll see here. But for question number one, there's a book that I really recommend. It has nothing to do with DBT. Um, <laughs> but it's a book that when I read it, it changed things for me. And I've had lots of friends read it. Um, and they've said it's a life changer. I've recommended it to clients who have loved it. Um, and the name of the book is Attached. That's it. Attached. And the authors are um, Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And I'm saying that off the top of my head. I did not fact check it beforehand. So I'm hoping that's correct. <laughs> um, but I would recommend reading that book with some of the things you talked about in your first question of like, how to handle and get an explanation for maybe some of that anxiety that you experience in relationships so that going into your next one it might help you with feeling a little less anxious when things may be in a tough spot in that relationship and i don't know the other thing i would maybe recommend too is like when that anxiety comes up of like oh my gosh are they leaving me um you know we just talked about the skill of check the facts um a little bit ago and check the facts can be a really great dbt skill to use when we're having anxiety really about anything um including relationships of checking in with ourselves about like what do i know here what's the worst case scenario and how would i cope with it um, what's the likelihood of that really happening that can be helpful um and the other thing which we're not getting to for quite some time because it's the last <laughs> chunk of skills we're going to be addressing is the interpersonal effectiveness skills and all of those are about communication in relationships whether they're romantic relationships friend relationships family relationships 
any kind of relationships, we're going to be walking through some skills that can help you in asking for what you'd like in those relationships, um, working on repairing things that have happened in those relationships, building the relationship up to be positive. We're going to be talking about a lot of skills that focus in on that. Um, so I'm hoping that will help with some of that stuff. So. Yeah. Um, so my thoughts with regards a little bit to question two, which was more around like what skills would you recommend during a like after a breakup? Um, and I don't know. I feel like I'm such a such a I don't know skipping record about this. I think obviously my biases show through, but mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. Uh, right? Um, mindfulness really helps us like notice those urges. In a lot of ways, mindfulness allows us to take like one step back, so we're kind of observing a lot of what's going on inside of ourselves. And that can help with cutting down on acting on those urges. Um, there's this, I don't know, this sense of, oh, I can see this for what it is, and I can make a different choice. So mindfulness, wise mind, I would think both of those are gonna be really helpful for breaking you out of those cycles of acting on your urges and then last but not least we're i don't know a while away i have no idea that time. no we're getting pretty close i think if you're getting if you're yeah that's where i thought you were okay. going yeah we're getting close to it okay so there's a couple of things in there that we'll get into much more explicitly um, one of them is sort of self-soothing and another one is distracting but uh, the basic idea is, right, when you have these urges to check up on your ex and look at the things, do the stuff, right, um, that's a sense of anxiety or, or loss or sadness, right? There's, there's an emotion, emotional turmoil going on uh, when you're having those urges. So sometimes just really gentle, like, soothing activities. Um, for me, I don't know, drinking a cup of hot tea, you know, taking a bath, maybe going for a walk, maybe cuddling up in a warm blanket or hugging a teddy bear, right? Like, just really kind really soothing things can help bring down the emotional turmoil that is causing you to have that urge in the first place. Um, and or, I am a big fan of distraction. I'm like, I really want to do this thing, but you know what? I'm going to turn on, I don't know, YouTube, my favorite television station, pick up the book that's next to me, turn on my favorite podcast. Um, <laughs> shameless self-promotion. Um, so <laughs> like, like, do something else instead. Like, actively and deliberately replace it. You might even be like, if I still feel like doing this after half an hour of this distracting thing, you know, maybe I will, but like give yourself a chance to be distracted. It may work better than you think. I think a, a lot of times we avoid, we kind of avoid distraction because we're sure it won't work without having tried. Like, no way I'm going to be distracted from this. I'm so focused on it. Um, and then, you know, you turn on a good comedy and you find yourself sucked in and, and not paying attention to that anymore. So those are kind of I would say my, my big thing. So mindfulness, wise mind, soothing yourself, right? With that really kindness. And then also distracting. I would say those are the top things that I have for that. Yeah. Awesome. So we know that was a long Q&A episode, um, but we're so thankful for each and every email that we get. And we think it's really important that we address as best we can each and every single one. So even if this episode was a long one, <laughs> um, <laughs> we hope that it was helpful. If you find yourself struggling in situations similar to what our listeners wrote in about and we would love to keep the emails coming from you guys. So, dbt and me podcast at gmail. 
com. Send them in. Hopefully we'll be doing a Q&A episode again sooner rather than later. And yeah, just write to us about, yeah, questions, life scenarios, anything like that. Exactly how these lovely listeners did. So, yep. Thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.